we are going to start. Hey, let me, let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you again so much for the opportunity to come together and open up your word. We pray, Father, that uh, you would be so very active. Lord, I'm not sure if it's going to be one word, if it's going to be a sentence, if it's going to be a paragraph. It will, maybe it will be a whole slew of things, but your spirit knows how to um, convict and encourage and teach each one of us. We need your spirit. Um, we know, dear God, that uh, there are times in our life that um, we choose to live, well, apart from the Spirit. We want to do our own thing. But today, Father, we pray for these next few minutes that, that you would um, reign, that we would have the opportunity to learn from you, that we would leave absolutely different people. Lord, I pray that um, I don't get in the way, and I pray, Father, that, that you would take some words that were written thousands of years ago and um, light a fire with them in our souls. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. 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 All right. <laughs> Front row. There we go. I always, when, I want to be the first thing you see every time that you, is, eyes, you are the first thing that I every see. Every time you say amen, you open your eyes and there I am. That is it. It's, it is, it's pretty amazing, really. I, I'm trying to think if it's maybe Gabriel or Tyler. Uh, leaning toward Tyler, leaning toward Tyler. Okay. Hey, we are uh, we're, we're going to be ending our study for at least. Uh, I, I'm going to be up at camp next week, uh, so it'd be really hard to teach. And then throughout July, there's just a lot of different meetings and different scenarios that are happening. Uh, so we're going to pick this up at least the last two chapters, hopefully get that done in August. But we'll see. All right. Let me just give you a quick review. Um, my wife has shared with me that my reviews are way too long. So, so these are, this is going to be very fast. Paul's in prison and wrote a letter. Okay, let's open up. I'm not going to listen to my wife in this area. Okay. Uh, Paul was chosen to be an ambassador. And it did not matter where he was. The situation that he was in was horrific at this moment. And he chose to encourage and strengthen his son in the faith. For some reason, Timothy was waning. I, I mean, ministry's hard. There are times when you want to give up. There are opportunities when... You know, God seems to be working, and, and then, you know, reality hits you. The church didn't seem to be growing and thriving as much as it had been. So Paul used this time to go back to the basics. He said, Timothy, keep using your gift. Don't forget to keep using it over and over and over again. Keep it sharp. Keep it hot. Stay underneath the Spirit's influence, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of me or the gospel. I want you to remember that part of this whole scenario is that you are going to be accepting suffering. Receive the suffering you're going to get. Be strong in that grace message that's so very, very important. And then he began to paint a picture of what faithful servants look like. He said faithful servants are 
Well, they look like teachers. Teachers who are able to take the truth which they have learned and be able to pass it on to others. He also said a faithful servant is like a soldier. And that is probably one of the clearest pictures for me what that looks like because soldiers, man, they, they just have to listen to the commanding officer and there are no hours. There really aren't. Then he said, I want you to be like an athlete. And an athlete is one who's disciplined and trained and needs to follow the rules. And then he said, a faithful servant looks like a farmer. Hardworking farmer. Farmers we see are so unbelievably dependent upon God. There are seasons in their life they have to work like crazy in order to get the harvest in or the planting in. But they are just so dependent on the watering and the sun and, and God really doing the growth. Well, we're going to continue tonight. We're going to look at Paul's words to his dear son. He continues to paint the picture of what a faithful servant looks like. I call it the faithful servant portrait. Let's start in chapter 2, looking at verse 14. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear him. You know, Paul comes, and, and again, almost every one of his words, they're just so very, very strong. You can sense that he knows he's going to die. You know that. You sense that when he is not just kind of giving suggestions all the way through. He is really shouting. He's expecting Timothy to listen. And he's shouting here. He's saying, hey, keep reminding everyone about these truths. Now, what is trying to say, I think, is I'm not done painting the picture of what a faithful servant looks like. So I want you to keep encouraging people. I'm encouraging you, but I think realistically what Paul has in mind is that I want you to use these same words to encourage the people at your church. All right? This ultimately is not about you, Timothy. So keep reminding everyone. You know the truth yourself. You pass it on. It's only through the knowledge of God's truth that falsehood and deceit can be recognized, resisted, and opposed. And Paul is going to continue to keep drilling this over and over and over again. Remind everyone about God's truth. Then he goes on and says, Command them in God's presence. Another very stern warning. In fact, anytime the scripture kind of brings God into it, we all know that God is around. We all know that God is there with you when you're parent. God is there with you when you're struggling with your boss, when you're working with a client, when you're having a disagreement with your wife. We all know that God is there. All right? There's no doubt about that. But somehow when the scriptures or when the authors of the Bible bring this up, it, it kind of brings a little bit more um, authority to it. And so Paul is just saying, hey, command them in God's presence, or remind them, stop fighting over words. Now, I believe right here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I think he's referring to the false teachers. This type of fighting is useless because really these false teachers have no real authority anyway. All right? 
But in most cases, I think Paul is is trying to bring across that, you know what, you're going to have to trust God in this whole ministry thing, in this whole life thing. God is literally going to take care of these false teachers and take it. It's not even worth the argument. It's not worth, because I think realistically, if he is referring to false teachers, uh, they have a whole different set of authority. You can use the scripture, but if the scripture isn't their authority, it's not going to be a very effective argument. So the truth is, Paul is just again reminding Timothy, hey, please, don't forget the truth. Let it know. And if people are not teaching the truth, you know what? Don't, don't even spend your time arguing. Now we hit a part in chapter 2, which is so very familiar, so very important. And, and I think, again, these are great reminders for some of you, and it's going to be new for some of you also. But in chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it's the Awana key verse. So if you've grown up at all at Awana, you will know this verse by heart. I got kicked out of Awana many times. So. You, you did. Well, maybe if you would have learned the key verse, it would have worked better, you know, instead of kind of, you know, whatever you were doing like here. Hubbies. Yeah. Hubbies. Three-year-olds. Oh, man. We're going to have to get you a therapist. Um, that's all I can say. Hey, verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. Paul starts off and he says this. He goes, I want you to be diligent. Literally what he is saying, I want you to be zealous. Zealous. Work hard. Be a zealot. Now, you get a little bit better picture there. And what is Paul, again, asking us to work hard doing? He's literally, again, we're talking about sharing truth, proclaiming truth. I want you to work hard so that you understand what the Bible has to say and are able to accurately and truthfully be able to give this out. He's been using all the way through the idea that this is going to take some work to understand the Scriptures. Now, I don't think, again, it, the Scriptures disqualify anyone. The simple truth is there. But there is something about a book that if you can spend a whole lifetime, pick it up every day and find something new, God is doing something amazing with this letter to each one of us. All right? There's no book like this. I mean, there's certain math principles, there's certain, again, you can, you can go through history books, and I know history is being made every day, but, but there are certain things that you can really, hey, I, I know this story, I get this principle, I know how this works, this, you know, whether it's physics or, or, you know, you finally get to a place where you understand the concepts. Well, I don't think any of us ever do. And so, really, Paul is saying, I want you to be so zealous about understanding the truth. I want you to give maximum effort to impart God's truth as completely, as clearly, as unambiguously as possible. He gives unreserved commitment to excellence in examining, interpreting, and explaining God's Word. 
There's no doubt that this is critical. And I think there's times when you have a devotional and you read and you get something for your soul. But I also think that as believers, you don't have to be a pastor. You need to be a student, a zealous student of God's Word. He says, I want you to present yourself to God. Remember, He's our authority. He's our boss. And receive His, impro- uh, his approval or His inspection. Ultimately, it's the only opinion that counts. No one needs to be ashamed, one who correctly understands God's Word. And literally what he's, what he's saying is that I want you to cut straight. The term that he uses is um, a term that a seamstress would use or a tent maker would use, as Paul would say. Okay, When you make tents, the whole idea is you have to cut the canvas and you have to sew the canvas. And really what he's saying is this. He says, I want you to understand God's word so you're able to cut the material straight. I want you to know that you don't want to make mistakes here. You just don't. The word or the message refers to the gospel here. And this is, this is a great, again, it's not a suggestion. This is Paul in prison telling Timothy, this is your lifeblood. Do you get this? Well, sure, Rick, he's a pastor. He's going to have to teach God's word. Well, there's not a person in this room, there's not a person in our church and our community that should be slack in this. I'm not saying that you have all the tools that maybe pastors have, nor you have all the time, because that's what pastors do. They just study, all right? But many of you have the opportunity to be able to understand God's Word in an unbelievably clear way And then remind yourself that you are going to stand before God someday and God literally will smile. This will be something that will make him smile. Then verses 16, 17, and 18. Let me read that to you. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. And in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, Um, They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Really, what Paul is saying again, and, and he keeps going back, and don't spend a lot of time with people who are false teachers. Avoid the worthless, foolish talk, logic, and arguments of false teachers. You know, many of you guys know Francis Chan. Um, I was listening to one of his podcasts uh, probably two or three days ago. And he used this illustration where um, a Jehovah Witness came up to his door. Now, to some of you folks, this may seem a little intimidating. But to um, at least pastors who are trained in Greek, Um, These are one of the times that you like to be able to converse with the Jehovah Witness because they know about five or six different Greek terms and they know them very well. But if you open up your Greek New Testament and you just 
able to show them some things, they all of a sudden um, get a little bit afraid. And sometimes I think in seminary, uh, seminarians or people who are trained this way like to impress or like to show off their great knowledge. And I had had a couple conversations with Jehovah Witness, and my basic line was, I'm going to try to be able to show you that what you believe is really false. Now, i, I got to let you know, I don't know how many JWs I've talked to over the years, but I've never convinced any of them, now, at least to my knowledge, that what they are believing is wrong. Francis Chan, he just, he just blew me away. Um, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to tell his message. He's going to be able to share you know, how he proved these guys wrong. And Francis said this. He said there's, there's a couple of people that came to his door, and uh, he's working outside cutting bushes or doing something like that. And, and, and he started talking to him. And what Francis did was this. He said, you know, he said, I, I'm not sure of all the different things that you believe. But you know what? I'm a God follower. Would it be okay if I begin to tell you some stories of how real God is in my life? And he said, sure. That sounds like a good idea. For the next 45 minutes, he kept telling story after story after story of God's transformation, of what God is doing in different people's lives, his life, his family's life, what is going on. And the Jehovah Witness said, you know, we don't know that God. I'm just letting you know. We don't know that God. Now, in the illustration, I don't think that these guys came to faith. But what I'm saying is, it was just a completely different approach. Instead of me or anyone else trying to cram something down their throat, all he did was begin to paint pictures of how wonderful and terrific and and how real God was, and how He changed lives. And I tell you, I was just so convicted. And even as I as I looked at this, avoid worthless, foolish talk. Do you need to know the Bible? And are there times when when maybe you need to stand up for your faith? I I think you do. But I'm thinking that it's literally God is the one who's going to change people's minds. God's going to draw them to themselves. And if I can paint a healthier picture of God when people are wanting to argue, I'm sensing that that's going to go a whole lot further. At least the way that Francis shared it, I was encouraged and ignited, actually, to say, you know something? The important thing is our God. Let's keep presenting Him. In this text, he warns against destructive heresy that perverts the truth. These things lead to ungodliness. In fact, he uses the word cancer in my translation. Some of your translations, they use gangrene. But the whole idea is this, is that um, this kind of foolish talk or arguing just doesn't really, it's, it's not very effective. There are people, it's going to look, and he named two people who have left the faith and gathered followers. Even some who have distorted the gospel and some that, that maybe have made the gospel easy. No one knows exactly what Paul is talking about except Timothy knew who the people were. And he just is, is being reminded again, don't spend your time trying to you know, work on someone that's distorting or is a false teacher. Work with those people who are going to receive the truth. 
And then he says this in verse 19. And look at your Bibles in this one, because this one actually is, verse 19 is a little confusing, but I'm going to go one direction here, uh, which I think is the right direction, so you better listen very carefully. Uh, Verse 19, verse 19. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. And with this inscription, the Lord knows who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. The NLT translates this, God's truth stands firm like a foundation or foundation stone, or it's like a foundation. Some of your other translations will say, God's firm and solid foundation. And there's some confusion here because is the Apostle Paul talking as the church as a whole? In other words, is he saying the church and its foundation is sure? Or this Ephesians church is the foundation is sure? Or the whole truth of God? It could also mean is he talking about God or Christ or the apostles or maybe a combination of all these things. Well, as we're looking, he's again talking about truth all the way through. He is sharing that this is what is important. And I think he's just following this and and following this logic. He says, but God's truth stands firm. You can never shake God's truth. You'll never be able, you can count on God's truth. It's like a firm foundation. In fact, there's a couple different rocks that we're going to even inscribe. One says and emphasizes God's role. The other one emphasizes humans' responsibility. But the truth is this. Paul is pouring his heart out and saying, you know, Timothy, Make sure that you understand the gospel. Make sure that you understand the truth. Make sure that you're giving it away. And then in one verse, he basically says, this is so sure. You can bank on this. This is unbelievably important. All right? Maybe it's even a call in this whole thing for false teachers to repent. But Paul's not going there. Paul is continually saying, I'm not going to worry about those that don't know the truth. What I am going to focus on, without a doubt, is truth. I want you to understand this truth. I want you to make sure that this truth is critical. And then he goes to verses 20 through 26, where we're going to spend the rest of our time, and begins to shout, not literally, but figuratively, what faithful servants look like again. Now let me encourage you, sometimes we read the scriptures, and we read a text like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, imitate God. And we go, you are kidding me, Paul. How does that work? All right. And he read a little bit further in the context, and he's saying, imitate God the way that God loves people. That's really important. And so you get a little bit of the context, but, but really, if, if someone says, you know, go up and imitate God today, I mean, it kind of is defeating right away. <laughs> I, I'm just not going to get there, I don't think. But that's not really how Paul thought there. 
So I think what he's going to do here is going to paint a picture that's pretty high. It's pretty lofty. It's something that in some ways we're going to look at this and say, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. But realistically, if you look at already some of the pictures or the portraits that Paul has painted, those are pretty lofty. And I'm not so sure, again, that someone that just comes of faith is all of a sudden going to respond to the Holy Spirit and be able to understand truth completely. But if our life, however long God gives us, is a journey, and we're connecting with God for 10 years, or 20 years, or 40 years, or 50 years, or 60 years, or 70 years, then all of a sudden, this is not so lofty, this is reality. This is you and I spending time with our Lord as He chips away all this stuff in Rick Wager's life that does not at all reflect God well. And as He listens and as He obeys, year after year after year, He is going to look more and more like God. He will never become God. But his actions, his reflection, how he treats people, and how you do, will be completely different. So Paul is talking from his older perspective, in my opinion. He's sharing with a young man, but he is not letting him off the hook. I'm just saying, he has given it to him, saying, hey, this is what faithful servants look like. And here's where he starts. Verse 20 and 21. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. Now again, it doesn't make sense for us right now, but really, um, if you look at there's some sterling silver, I'm pretty sure none of you have gold uh, utensils or dishes. Maybe you do. And if you do, that's, you do. Okay, good, good. And, and most of our stuff is not wood and clay, Okay, I mean, maybe if you want to get certain pottery and, and that type of thing. Um, but really what he's saying, there, there are some really dishes for company and dishes for every day. There's the china, shall we say, some of you have and some of you have kept and, and it's for very special occasions. And other is your, you know, Walmart blue dishes with a rim around it and, and it's how it works, Okay. The expensive ones or utensils are used for special occasions. And the cheap ones, well, they're for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the Master to use you in every good work. He's going to give some suggestions in a second. But he paints a picture again, and we use this illustration for some of those who have been with us almost every week, of um, what God is looking for. God is looking for clean utensils. And the truth is, if you are a faithful servant... All right, you will remain clean so God can use you. Now, what does that mean, and why would I want God to use me? Well, the truth is, none of us know what God has planned for any one of us. But if there is sin in our life, and sin again 
is what we would call something that would disqualify us from receiving reward or to um, enjoy the blessings of God the way that he intended. Remember, we use this illustration, and we won't go into a lot of detail, but when you first come to faith, you go in two circles. One's called position, and one's called walk. And when you go in these two circles, this top one, because it's a position circle, no matter if you sin or disobey God or don't listen to God or whatever, you are always a son or daughter of God. He is your Father. But if you do sin, all right, you become dirty. I don't know how else to say it. Sin means black, dirty, unusable. God cannot coexist with sin. We've said this before. This is very hard for us to understand because we put sin in categories. You mean, God won't hang out with me if I just lie? I, yeah, he won't. Okay? You mean I have to, like, confess that sin, like, immediately, just like if I murdered someone? Yeah, you do. Now, I know there's worse consequences. I get that part. Okay? But the truth is, is that when you come to faith, you go into two circles. As soon as you sin, as soon as I sin, as soon as I rebel, as soon as I um, choose to disobey God, I come out of this circle. And as long as I'm out of this circle, I am not spirit-led. I am not walking with God. I am not in fellowship. These are all terms that you've heard all the way through the Scriptures. When you're outside this circle, you will not get reward for anything you do. When Jesus talks about giving a cup of cold water and receiving a reward for it, it's someone in here that's in fellowship with God. God says this, if you want to be used, Timothy, you want to be used. Alright, I know you're going through a rough time, I know you're you know, waning right now, you're flickering. But you want to be used, this is where you got to stay. You need to confess your sin quickly. You need to stay clean. If you're clean, God says, I want to use you. That's important. All right? Now, starting at verse 22, he starts telling us what that clean actually looks like, specifically. First of all, he says this, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Actually, what Paul is describing is a running or pursuing after what is healthy. Look at the first one. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Now again, you look at that and when you're young, um... 
you can look at life a little bit differently. You don't recognize consequences as quickly. You think that you're smarter than everybody. I mean, you know, meet a 19 or 20-year-old sometime. You know, if you can remember back then, or maybe you have someone in your house like that. They just are so right all the time, you know. And they don't understand how come you're so stupid. And how come your words don't make sense to them, and so on and so forth. And they probably won't really realize how wise you are until, you know, their parents or or they're older or they've smashed, you know, their heads against the wall long enough. But really what, what Paul is saying here is saying there are things in your life that will stimulate ungodliness. I don't want you to hang out. I don't want you to draw a line in the sand and see actually how close you can get. Now again, you all have seen little kids and you all have given them instructions and you've all shared with them how they can't go into the street. Or, you can use any one of many other illustrations, but just about every little kid I know will look at you and walk up, well, this far, and look. And walk up this far and look. And walk up this far. Now, I have never taught any kid that. I've never taught my kids that. All right, I didn't. Now, maybe they, I modeled it for them. I'm not sure. But, but I never taught them this. I said, look, when I tell you something, I want you to go as close to the edge as possible. If curfew is 1030, you know, how come my son waits out there to 1029 and then decide to turn the key? Okay, you know. You, you look at these things, and what Paul says is this. He goes, Timothy, I want you to know something. There's clean and there's dirty. Now, I don't know what sins Timothy was struggling with. And actually, I don't even know what sins you're struggling with. I know what sins I struggle with. Okay? But I know this, is that if I am deceived that God really isn't going to provide for me, and God really isn't that awesome, and following God does not really satisfy, I'm going to keep going there. Over and over, and then finally, I'm going to look back, and, and every parent's seen this. They look, what's going to happen? My foot is now in the street. Okay? If it was in our house, literally they knew they would get a spanking like crazy. Wouldn't spoon me. Okay? It would be something, it would not even be debated. Would not even be debated. Because I actually wanted to just put the fear into them. Because I just knew a car was a whole lot worse than anything I did to them. And if I could just scare the liver out of them when they're four years old or five years old, maybe they wouldn't go there. Now when they're 15 or 16, that doesn't work so well. Okay, it doesn't. But what Paul is just saying, hey, Timothy... There's lots of these lines. I have walked with you. I've shared with you. You don't understand. Life with God is 50 times better. Don't go toward the sin that's going to entangle you and strangle you. Literally, run away. 
Now, in high school ministry, one of the things that youth pastors are really good at is telling kids what to run away from. Okay? And, and again, being a youth pastor for 27 years, you, you have your lists, and kids will always come to you, and, and parents will call you up, and they're all the top five, six, seven things, always. It's just right there. Okay? So you share and you talk about these things. But the truth is, all right, as you look at what Paul is saying, if you would just tell a, a teenager, you know what, uh, pornography is not good for you. Well, actually, it's pretty good for me, Pastor Rick. Actually, it's not that good for you. Really, it doesn't hurt anybody. Oh, well, yes, it does. <laughs> and you can go through all these different things, and you can put in whatever you want to put in. But the truth is this. That if you just tell anyone, or you, to say, you know what, I'm going to run away from a sin, or the sins, or things that I know I'm going to disobey God with, and you just go home and sit. I'm running away. I'm not going to do this. This is going to... You always have to fill that spot. And so what Paul is saying, in prison, the same thing. Hey, I want you to run away from things that stimulate youthful lusts, things that kind of get you going. And you know what the truth is? There are our world. You know, I was talking with a young man yesterday, and he was just sharing some struggles he had and and I basically said this. I said, You know what, if you live in Las Vegas, I bet this would be a lot harder to walk the Christian life. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, actually, I've never been there. I've only been there like once when I was like, I think I was 10 years old or 9 years old, and it was Christmas Day, and my dad was driving through as our one vacation that we went on. But, but we were driving. But I meet with young men all the time that have, you know, Every conference in the world was held in Las Vegas, as far as I know. You know, it just doesn't matter. I mean, there's, like, if you're a scientist, you need to go to Las Vegas and have a, have a, a conference. If, if you're a building, you know, engineer, you need to go to Las Vegas. I, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but everything's there, okay? But you go there, and I just know everything is sensual. Everything just kind of shouts at you. And, you know, there's a saying, hey, what happens in Las Vegas? stays in Las Vegas. That, that's not really true. It, it just isn't. Okay? And people get deceived about this. And so really what Paul is just saying, and again, I'm not going into detail, but what he's saying, don't run toward this. Don't go close to the line. Run away from it. And then look what he says here. Instead, pursue, run after, with great energy, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And also enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord of your hearts. Now I also just have to say this, is that as you look at this, there are two things he's asking Timothy to run toward. Alright? One thing he's asking him to run, run toward is righteous living. Now again, most of us you know, that's probably still not high in the priority. Um, 
I want to be righteous. I want to be godly. I, I mean, my reputation, if I could choose one word for my reputation, I want it to be godly. Now, that's probably not top on our list. Okay? I want to be cool. I want to be smart. I want to be wise. I want to be thrifty. You know, those things. But godly, because godly people still, we think they don't have any fun. They're, they're just like, what do you do? Do you go home and pray? Like, how do, how do you do this? You know, what is godly? And again, what I'm trying to share with you, godly is godlike, and, and righteousness is the whole idea of being clean again. Remember, he just got through talking about an illustration. He said, I want you to go toward clean living. Things that will keep you clean. Because the ultimate thing where you're going to get satisfied like crazy is when God uses you in the journey. You know? Every one of you wants your lives to be made, well, to make an impact. To make a difference. None of you want to be able to get to whenever your deathbed is and say, well, you know what, it really didn't matter. I, I, you know, I, I mean, no way. You want to say, what, what did I leave? What did I do? How is the world different because I was here on this planet? And ultimately, as you look at your life, Paul has just given some illustrations to a younger man. He's not that young, but a younger man saying anything that may stimulate you to youthful us, you run. But what I want you to pursue is godliness and righteousness. I want you to go after the things that I've asked you to obey. All right? I want you to run from sin, not run towards sin. I want you to go the opposite direction. Now again, this is an old man in prison. He's about ready to die. Paul didn't always do that. But that's the advice that he's giving. And I tell you what's neat. He says, I want you to hang out with friends who have pure hearts. You know, one of the hard things is when you come to faith, almost every statistic says this, is that you will... Um, it will take about one year before you trade all of your pagan friends for Christian friends. And usually, after people come to faith, they have a really hard time connecting or hanging out with those who are not of faith. Now, my encouragement is this. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that you do need to have some good godly friends. What he is not saying is that you don't hang out with ungodly friends. Okay, It is not the whole pendulum that goes over there because we need to be salt and light in our world. So Paul is again saying, run from sin and run toward righteousness and make sure that you have some great community. Then in the last three verses, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Look at verse 24. Oh my word. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. 
Hmm. What does that, what does that mean? It must not mean that, right? Because it's got to mean something else. I think it means out loud. Out loud. That, yeah. What else? Like, anyone, other suggestion? Because it seems pretty clear. Like, don't fight. Oh, is not fighting fair? Good? Well, I, quarrel. What is quarrel? Don't quarrel. Let, let's just read a little more because that could be too convicting right there. But, um, but must be kind to everyone. Okay, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. He must be able to teach. Okay, we're, we're good with that. Now, we're not talking publicly or, or, you know, you have to be a preacher or all this kind. But remember, he's talking all the time. A faithful servant is one like a teacher who's going to be able to teach the truths that he or she has received to other people who are teaching the truth to other people. So that, that's kind of there. Being able to teach, that's a safe one, right? But it goes, okay, must not quarrel, must be kind to everyone, must be able to teach. Okay, good, I got that one. And be patient with difficult people. Okay, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. We're back to the truth again, man. <laughs> There's going to be guys that, that just don't like the truth. All right. Um, but gently instruct them. Don't cram it down and don't use Greek. Okay? I think that's what he's saying there. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Back to the truth again. Do you know that all the wisdom in the world probably isn't going to change somebody's mind? God's going to use the truth, which is powerful. It's like a hammer. It's like a sword. We're going to find out when we eventually get to chapter 3 what that looks like. Alright? But this is really what... what you know, it, it's almost like the climax of what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, hey, a servant, a faithful servant, Whoa, start off in chapter 2, verse 1. It's someone who knows God's grace. It's so strong in God's grace. Keeps talking about God's grace. God's grace is transforming this person. It's just unbelievable. Then he says, hey, I want you to know, this person's going to be like a teacher. Now, we already did this review, but see, it's starting to fall in. makes sense. And a faithful service is going to be like a soldier. Do you know that? going to be obedient and it's going to work hard and not take care. You know, I mean, there's going to be times it's just uncomfortable. And like an athlete. And like a farmer. And it goes on. And he goes, hey, I want you to make sure that you keep sharing the truth. And I want you to study hard. I want you to be so zealous so you understand the truth. You understand what God's Word has to say. That God's Word is so transforming. And that you can correctly interpret it so you can pass truth on. God's truth stands so firm. So firm. And say, you know what? A real faithful servant someone's going to be clean. So run away from every sin. 
when you were young, you just thought there were no consequences, and you thought you were even smarter than God. You just did. All of us did. He's saying, run, run, run away. Don't see how close. Run away and run toward righteousness. Toward obedience, toward listening to me. And then he goes, a, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. You want to know why I think he says that? For one thing, you've got to remember that Paul was one of the most intelligent people on the planet at that time. He was in debate. He probably was part of the Sanhedrin, at least at one time. The man was educated well beyond anything. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I just think his bent would be to quarrel and argue. Now, I know if you're watching A.D., it sounds a little different there right now, but I haven't got to the good part yet in, in some things, I, I think. But Paul's just saying this. The whole reason, if you jump down to the back, God is going to do the changing, not you. Is it your job to argue people in the kingdom, quarrel people in the kingdom, or is it your job to reflect God well, love people carefully? I think the bent is here. Don't quarrel. Be kind to everyone and patient, especially with those difficult people. I call them, and you call them, extra grace people. People who require extra grace. People you don't want to hang out with. You know, I want to I wanna just share a story of something that I grew in tremendously over this last year. There are always people in everybody's life that um, you wish they would leave and go to a different church. Um, sometimes there's more people that you wish you would leave and go to a different church. And you pray that way as a good holy pastor, saying, Lord, there has really got to be a different church that this person would bless. Does it have anything to do with the last couple of weeks? It, 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 it <laughs> could be the last couple of weeks even. I think but, you're picking up what you're throwing down right about now. <laughs> but the truth is this, is that I always have a choice as a pastor, and so do you. To take things into my own hands or to listen to God. To me, it's harder to listen to God because I think I know how to handle this situation. i got to be honest, I was, I was at the end of my rope oh, probably about 10 days ago. And... Um, I'm sure some of you saw some heavy and hard words and that, that were happening in, in our lobby at one Sunday afternoon. But this was um, an unbelievable long kind of scenario. Um, this has happened for long over a year. And things accelerated, and I could share with you details and situations, but the truth was, God gave me a different perspective. And I don't even, I, I can't actually claim this at all. I, I just, 
It just felt that this man especially had been so hurt by the church. His culture was so different than ours. It, it was like, instead of three strikes, I'm thinking like it's six strikes. You can't even have six strikes, can you? But that, that's what it felt like. And everybody I talked to, everybody, not even one person differed, said, Rick, we just need to get rid of him. I, I don't even know how to say it. No, they said it different ways. And I just did not have permission to do that. And I had asked to meet with him, i got to be honest with you, over and over. And he basically said this, because there are so many different issues, problems. He says, I really can't talk to you, because if I talk to you about tithing, you get your salary from the church, and you're not going to be honest with me here. And if we talk, and I can give you other examples. So, so I could not be the one actually to chat with him. So actually I had different people lined up and talking and so on and so forth. But he would never, honestly, he would never meet with me. And Monday, the Sunday, uh, the Monday after this Sunday, uh, I, I just went home so defeated Sunday. I, I can't even tell you. Um, I just didn't know where to go. I was mad. I was upset. I didn't get to talk to anybody at on a Sunday, and that's the big deal for me, is uh, talking with people after service. And um, I got an email from him that said, I am willing to meet with you. To put, to put it just an unbelievable scenario, and, and this isn't the first time, but we came in, and I do not know what happened. I don't. I, I did not know where to go. I did not know what to say. I prayed through this, and I just said, God, I don't know what to do. I've asked for this meeting, and now I get the meeting, and now I don't know what to do. Okay. And my wife's going, are you sure you should go this by yourself? I go, yeah, I do. If he has a gun, I just see in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. I just... And, and the truth was, um, I, I just think God did something. I can't, t there was no other reason. There, there was none. And I know this took, and, and it may go back, I, I have no idea, but this took one year of listening to some of the most unique complaints that I've ever heard. Some of them are legitimate. I, I'm telling you, I wasn't that the guy was totally a jerk. But I'm telling you, this passage, I'm studying Second Timothy. I'm hearing this. I'm seeing what a servant of God must not quarrel, must be kind, and must be patient. He must gently instruct those who impose the truth. And perhaps God will change. Now this is a wonderful grace story. But I can also tell you there's many that have not ended this way. They haven't. But this one did. And it's really cool to me. Because I think I honored God 
and God did the work. There isn't any way I can take credit for anything. Because I was as lost as anybody could be going into that meeting. Even Sharon asked me over again, like, well, what'd you talk about? Or what'd you... I, I was really flabbergasted. I'm not even sure I could answer her, you know, in some ways. And then the next day, we met on a Wednesday. The next day, Thursday, an email with an apology. So not only did God work, but there was way more than that. And I just, I, I was just so grateful. I was just so grateful. Because verse 26, Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. You know, I just know that my way is usually direct confrontation or my way is getting louder and stronger or my way is using logic or debate because that's what I'm schooled in. But I don't think that's God's way. And I don't think God has a timetable. I don't. Do I think you need to get run over at times? Hopefully not. I'm not saying anyone should be abused or... Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. But what I am saying is, I think what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy isn't just for pastors. What I'm sensing is my God is still too small. And probably yours is too. Yours is too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your words. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to watch you work. Um, Lord, why is it that we want to be big at times and want to prove and argue people into the kingdom? And, and I think there were times you were angry, God. And I think there were times when, when you were sad, when you were on this planet. But Lord, why is it that the multitudes kept coming to you? How could you be so firm on sin and yet love the sinner? We get that mixed up so much in life, whether we're a pastor or, or whether we're a scientist. So I ask you, Jesus, that, that we would hear Paul's heart. And that we would reflect you more every single day because we are running from things, Lord, that will bring dishonor and, and pain and sorrow. And running toward the promise of life. Thanks, God. Thank you for using the Apostle Paul. And we're still benefiting in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, just to remind you, um, you'll get an email on when we start up again, if that's... Uh